over the, the last couple of weeks, Emmeline and I have been uh, watching The Traitors on television. It, it, it's a game show where it's difficult for the contestants to know um, which of the fellow participants they can trust and who might seek to remove them from the game. It challenges the viewer to maybe think about how people react when they hear something and how they themselves might be misunderstood. It also means that we see that people read more into things sometimes than is actually there. The players often mistakenly banish other faithful people from the game because they think they are being lied to, but they are actually being told the truth. Jonah, in our passage, knows that the people of Nineveh are not faithful to God. They are living far from God's way. They are not obeying the commandments. They are not in the pattern of life that they should be. And so Jonah wants to see their destruction, their banishment, not simply from where they live, but he seeks their total annihilation in a sort of Sodom and Gomorrah type way. But there is a serious flaw in Jonah's thinking. God is loving. It is because God is loving that the prophet has been sent to the city. It is because God is loving that Jonah himself has been given a second chance to take the message of impending doom to the inhabitants of Nineveh rather than going down on the ship that he tried to escape on, or his drowning in the sea. God has saved him. And this chapter of the story of Jonah's Nineveh journey starts with him alive and well and on the shore. We have a God that cared for Jonah despite his disobedience. And it is a God that cares for Nineveh and wants them to change. We have a God who cares for each individual and allows the opportunity to turn around and start again, forgiving us and longing for us to do what is right. He gave Jonah a second chance. He's giving the city of Nineveh a second chance. He gives us a second chance. This is the nature of God. He is a God of love. Well, we might get that about God being a God of love but maybe still don't understand why God sends Jonah there. Yes, because he wants them to have a new beginning. But he wants that for every town, every village, every community. He wants to have 
a new beginning. Why Nineveh? Well, it would be an amazing example to others, wouldn't it? The reputation of Nineveh was widespread. No one would imagine that they would don sackcloth and ashes, that they would repent. When we hear today of the success of Prison Alpha with murderers and drug dealers, or when we hear of uh, high-profile white-collar criminals that have repented and chosen to give uh, their life to Christ, their testimony makes people listen. When we hear those stories, we pay maybe slightly more attention than when one of us that grew up in the church says, well, I grew up in the church and I went to church and I heard God's call and I'm still in the church. It doesn't have the same thing as the person that killed four folk. And then has an awakening, an encounter with the spirit that suddenly they understand and they turn their life around. Now it's wonderful that each one of us who has grown up in the church or as a child came to church has continued on that journey. It's great. And most of the church is made up that way. It's really important. Each one of us. But those stories that make us sit up and go, wow, that's amazing. What a change in someone's life can draw in many, many more who want to hear it, who want to discover it. We should all have an idea of how we would give an account of what our faith is and what it means to us and how important our faith is in our life. And it does make a difference. But Jonah's role at Nineveh was to share a message that would in turn not just see that city saved, but it would be recorded And in turn, still be getting talked about 2,700 years later. You know, it's that sort of impact. Which is why God takes Jonah to Nineveh to tell the story that God is love and that they are to repent. So Nineveh is a very specific place within God's plan because of the lasting impact. And sometimes we need to think, are we called somewhere? Are we called to do something in our community? Are we called to share our story with a particular individual? Or to challenge somebody? Or to do something new? Because that will have lasting impact. 
It will make a huge change. And that's for each one of us to think, who do I have to share my story with? Who do I have to share that story of God's love with? That it will make a difference in their life and in others' life too. Jonah gives his message. Some would argue that what he preaches is maybe not quite what the Lord has told him to. And others in their commentaries say he himself doesn't actually understand it. Forty more days in Nineveh will be turned over or overthrown, depending on what translation you use. Forty days is a time period that crops up again and again in the Bible for reformatting life. A big change of repentance, of new beginnings. The days and nights of rain in the flood. The days of fasting before the law was given to Moses. The days Goliath and the Philistine army jeered at the Israelites before David steps forward. Not to mention, in our New Testament, Jesus in the wilderness. Praying before the tempter comes to him. The period is offered up as a sign of change coming. It is a time of new beginning. And the way it is stated here, actually, doesn't necessarily mean at the end of the 40 days, but it's more sort of within. It's not that on the 40th day, boom. It's by the time the 40 days have passed. It's a transitional time here that we'll see change. Change doesn't always happen instantly. And we're maybe all thankful for that. Because when it does happen that way, it can be a big shock. But there's something going to be happening in the city over this 40-day period. And the other part of the proclamation is that the city will be overthrown or turned over. What does it mean? Well, To Jonah, he wants it to mean, boom, the city's gone. That's it, wiped out, you've got 40 days. Tough luck. But actually, it doesn't necessarily mean that. There's different understandings of the word. It's translated as turned over. And, in fact, we see that the city is turned over. It is turned over from wickedness to the way of God. It is turned over from sin to repentance. It is the outcome that is Jonah's prophecy, even though... It's not quite what Jonah thinks his prophecy is. 
And those of us that preach, those of us that share the word, might say one thing, and what you might hear might be something slightly different. You hear the words, but you interpret them. And you take it on board, and it speaks to you. And so as we explore God's word, we have to be open to what the Spirit is leading us individually to understand. What is it that God wants me, you, to know? Jonah thought it was going to be destruction. But it was actually repentance. It was a coming close. He, Jonah, claims to understand God's nature. But repentance leads to rescue. It leads to hope. It leads to a new beginning. The king, even, takes a lead and proclaims a fast. He isn't just saying it, though. From the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. Everyone across the board follows this. Do those in power set an example to us? Do they say one thing and do another? Is that the way of company executives or politicians? It was somewhat refreshing this week for the head of Fujitsu to to say that there was a moral imperative for them to act. A shame that they didn't act 20 years ago in the way that we might have hoped for, but now a recognition that they would. Likewise, on the news, the head of British Gas said there was no way he could justify his four and a half million pound pay. You know, good. But is he going to do something about that? I wonder. That's it. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. It's all right to make a proclamation. Everybody repent. But does the person making the proclamation repent? In Nineveh, the king does. From the greatest to the least, they turn around and seek to live God's way. They don sackcloth and ashes. And as we seek the coming kingdom, as we seek others to live God's way, do we ourselves live God's way? Do we practice what we preach, what we share as a community of believers? In this passage, they enter a a time of fasting, of coming to the Lord. Fasting, true fasting, is not simply as it's sometimes perceived to be a a bit of a diet. It's about removing something from your life that actually sustains you. And at the same time, coming closer to God 
being reliant on him, allowing his ways to become yours. Now, of course, the, the, there's people that shouldn't fast. There are people that should not fast. It, there's common exclusions in most cultures in every faith where fasting takes place. It, sick, frail, young children, pregnant women, others too, are excluded from fasting. Because it is not right for them. It could damage their health. It could seriously damage their health. And so that's prohibited. And instead we we need to think actually what is fasting. When the, the prophet Isaiah talks of fasting in Isaiah 58. He points out that the people often do not seek God in it, which is the very point of the fasting in the first place. He encourages them to rethink and says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and unite the cords of the yoke, uh, untie the, car- the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed tree and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from from your own flesh and blood? So fasting is not about setting aside your wants and desires. It really is about taking on God's mantle, about living his way, about choosing to follow him and seeing something new of the kingdom coming where you are through how you live your life. Those of you that, you know, we're only a couple of weeks away from Lent. You know, if you're thinking about giving up your chocolate bar, what what is it that you're taking up as well? If you're setting aside your cup of coffee, what is it you're, you're actually going to be doing? It's, it's about getting close to God, about journeying with the Lord and seeing something new of the kingdom breaking through. It's about thinking about how that money is saved to further God's purpose. And about doing things differently, not simply for that time of fast, not just that 40 days of repentance that's happening in Nineveh where they're donning the sackcloth and ashes, but how they will live on the other side of that. When they come out of that, do they simply go back to their old ways? Or do they live anew? When we come to faith, when we give our life to the Lord, it should make a change in our life. A new understanding, whether we've grown up in the church or not. It should be a time where there's an awakening to what God actually expects of us. Not simply hearing the story, but living as part of the story being fully integrated into it. For if we don't change, 
the repentance, the fast, the prayer of coming to the Lord is meaningless. We have to continue to live God's way, to listen to our call and to serve God's purpose. To put on our high vis and be that presence that's seen rather than someone that simply goes back to sleep and hides under the warm duvet. God sees how we live and responds accordingly. As the psalmist said in our call to worship, you, the Lord, reward everyone according to what they have done. Nineveh was to have been destroyed, but the Lord does not bring it to pass. He rewards them according to what they have done. They have repented and they have new life. The Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and swift to bless. The repentance means the city is spared. Whoever we are, whatever we have done, small things, big things, whatever they are, if we are truly repentant, then the Lord forgives. We have to be wary, however, that we do not live like Jonah, who forgot his earlier rejection of call. Our passage began with the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He'd ignored the first time. When we've repented, we have to listen and respond. Jonah has forgotten that earlier rejection and the fact that he had a second chance. He truly doesn't want the city to be saved, but rather he wants it to face judgment so that his understanding of what he has proclaimed will come to be seen true. Because what use is a prophet that says one thing and then something else happens. He's supposedly a prophet of God, but he struggles to know the truth. He doesn't seek the blessing of the city dweller. He has no love for them. Are we people who seek the love and forgiveness that God offers? but then don't live it out in our relationships? Do we slip back into our old ways? Do we say that we are faithful followers, but the reality is that we are a traitor to all Jesus taught? I pray that that may not be the case. May we instead Seek the growth of the kingdom as we proclaim that God is love. Amen.